And I'm sitting and he and he's staring at me. He keeps turning his head, looking at me like. And then he says, you know, Mark, look at the pictures on the wall. And he has on the wall about 58 by 10s of the best looking people you've ever seen. <laughs> ABC was famous for like really good looking people. Right. And he says to me, do you think you look like any of those people? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So I look and I go, not really. He goes, I can't help you. Oh, wow. That's brutal. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, that is fucking that's a that's a hashtag me too moment for you. How come you haven't written anything about that yet? (laughs) This is Tokyo tonight. Tonight. Hey, hey all right. Good to see you. No, it's, it's, he's right. It's chutzpah, and it's, chutzpah. Uh, it's like a scunjimi. If I was trying to, <laughs> why don't we go out for some scunjimi? <laughs> right, you know. So let's hear scunjili, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, oh, man, chutzpah. I gotta get it right, man. I don't bakama. know. My, I don't know my Yiddish. I don't know my Yiddish. It's gotta go bakama. <laughs> right, <clears throat> come on. Dame with filone de pane. What about a loaf of bread? So uh, the only the only words I know in Italian are the ones my grandparents used to shout at me as a kid, which was statajit, aspetta, and manja. Just shut up, eat, wait, <laughs> and that's right. it. Yeah. And I know. Uh, put the gun down, please. <laughs> so that's the one I know. So please leave. Leave the gun, take the cannolis. Yes, yes. that's a classic. Oh, Ray Liotta, may he rest in peace. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I spoke to a guy today who was very close to him. The guy's name is John Savage. Oh, John, I know John Savage. Yeah, John was in Apocalypse Now. He, yeah. was in, he was in 100 movies, and he was very close. And his brother was even closer to Ray, and they're, they're broken up by it. He says Ray was just a great guy, and you know we all know a tremendous actor. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'd heard. Absolutely. I heard he was a really, really nice guy. Good fellows. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, it's pronounced fellas. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but uh, so wait, I gotta know. Would you remember the article that I'm talking about? With the one so, that- yeah, we it was in a, a couple of different places. Um, I'll tell you the story. By the way, there's a book you probably read. Maybe you didn't associate it to me. It's called uh, "I Killed." Yeah, I have stories. It. I wrote that. Yes, I love that also, book. I've got yeah. the hardcover. Yeah, in my room. That was, a, you know, the road, uh, 200 comics. We, uh, me so and Rich Scheidner talked to them and we got uh, stories from them. Yeah. It was Chris. Yeah, I love Rich. Yeah. He's incredible. Um, so anyway, what happened was it was a new, uh, you want the story? Yeah, please. Okay. So yeah. New Year's Day, Seinfeld, Riser, me, Larry Mill, and another guy named Michael Hampton Kane were all out of work with new comedians. This is like a third year in, hanging out at the comic strip. Maybe mm. we're doing... New Year's Eve for hundred bucks, but nothing. So we said, let's let's get together tomorrow for brunch, New Year's Day. So we met at this place, had brunch. We had such a good time, the five of us. We said, let's do this every New Year's Day for the rest of our lives, wow, and we did wow. it for thirty years. Oh and uh, mostly every year, we met and uh, we would uh, close the the day off by walking over the Brooklyn Bridge together. 
wow. and we got halfway there. We felt the new year was actually starting. Wow. And um, the person that made the most money paid for the lunch and the person that made the next most money paid for the limousine for the day. I never had to pay for anything, by the way. <laughs> Those guys. It's uh, five millionaires a day. So uh, one year, Paul Reiser was in England doing Aliens 2. Wow. He was shooting Aliens 2. And he was going to be there on New Year's Day. So we, Reiser, so me, Seinfeld, Larry Miller, and Mike Kane, we flew to England. Wow. We got in a hotel because we, we can't miss New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that a Rolls Royce to rent was like $3,000 for the day that we could actually fly to Paris for a hundred bucks each. And let's have lunch there. Wow. So we flew to Paris, had lunch across from Notre Dame, flew back to England and took the plane home. Oh my God. Wow. That's incredible. I love that. And we've all been friends um, forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all married and have stayed married. Oh, nice. Wow, yeah, that's got it. That's, that's a rarity in, in yeah. the show business too, right? Rise is married easily over 20, 25 years. Everybody stayed married and uh, it's a great thing. And after about 30 years, we, we, we stopped in New Year's Day because we all had wives mm. and uh, they wanted to do other things. Ah, and when we first started, we had all these stories. And once you get married, those stories are gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's true. Yeah. I don't, I, I really love traditions like that. My friends and I, uh, not the same. None of us are millionaires. So we don't do any of the limo stuff. But I shit you not, since in, in high school, for some reason, we started this tradition where we would go to the IHOP in town. Yeah. And we would, on, on not at 9 a.m. on Christmas Eve day, and exchange gifts, just just me and my buddies. And then it was me and my friends and our girlfriends. And then it was me, my I'm not married at all. So it was me, and my friends and their wives and their kids. You know. So, but we just kept that going for like twenty something years, and we still try up until the pandemic. We right. would go to the same IHOP in the same, even though none of us live there anymore. Same IHOP, same town, and and have Christmas Eve. And everyone looks at us like we're nuts because we're walking right. in with bags and gifts and shit. Right. And uh, yeah, and it's just I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's good the, to have. Those. It's the greatest. It doesn't matter if you're doing it at the River Cafe where we did it for 20 years straight, mm-hmm. or uh, England or the IHOP. You're with your friends, yep. and that's yep. really the bottom yeah. line. What would it be? Would it would would like would you guys just like call each other when it got close? And who organized the plans? So the plan was really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it was only one year it was in LA, but every year it was in New York. So if you lived in LA, you had to get to New York. For me, it was a $3,000 lunch because I had to fly there two days early. I had to put myself up in a hotel, mm-hmm. you know, right back. So, but anyway, we all met in New York. Um, the limousine would usually stop at either Jerry or Paul's place first. Mm-hmm. Paul's at a hotel, Jerry's house. And then one by one, he would, pick us up. He'd pick up Paul, Jerry, pick up Paul. Then he'd pick up Larry. They pick up me. They pick up Michael. Finally, we're all together. Wow. And we, first thing we would do is drive uptown all the way uptown to the uh, cloisters, you know, them up there, Mm -hmm. the uh, beautiful. And we go to Grant's tomb and we walk around, hang out, smoke cigars. And uh, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a phenomenal thing. And I have hundreds of pictures from those events because I'm the only guy that brought a camera. Yeah, I'm that guy too. I always have a camera with me. Always, it, 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 that was just organizing all these photos, man, from like stand-up days and 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 like when I first started, me and my friends or whatever. Because I always either had a 
uh, disposable camera, and then I got a real camera, and then I got the, you know what I mean? Like, and then yeah, now you right, got your yeah. phone, and I'm that, I'm the one who's always doing it. And I don't know, did people get annoyed? Because my <coughs> friends used to get really pissed off. They'd be like, God, just live in the moment. But And now as we're older, they're like, do you have that photo of me when we're all together from like sure. 19, whatever? And I'm like, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's my thank you? You're gonna have to I, don't, I don't know why this is freezing uh, because I have Ethernet and I have a thousand megabytes. Oh, weird. That is oh, bizarre. You should wanna... totally be good. Yeah, you, you should be hardwired in. I am. I'm hardwired in and I got AT&T 1000. And, uh, you know, oh, the yeah, only thing too. I don't have is a priest in the corner with rosary praying for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I I'm Jewish, by the way, but I know this stuff. <laughs> Dominus Hibiscus Secumbus Subius. Right. I think you just turned somebody into a rabbit. Yeah. You I know, think that's I, the spell. I learned that from Lenny Bruce. Not oh, did you really? Not personally. Yeah. It's on his album. There's some routine where he he plays Father Flatsky, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, Dominus Hibiscus Secumbus Subius. And uh, <laughs> I listened to that album like 40 times when I was a kid. So, uh, Oh, I, man. I, was that your was that one of your earliest influences? Lenny, uh, once I read Ladies and Gentlemen, Lenny Bruce, hmm. uh, the Albert Golden Larry Schiller book, and it's also Seinfeld read that book. And we were uh -huh. both, uh, if you haven't read it, it'll knock your socks off. Sweet. It's the it's the ultimate uh, bi uh, biography on him. But no, my first influence was uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, man. Twelve oh. years old. Forest Hills, my parents were going out for the night. They took me to a nightclub called the uh, Boulevard Nightclub. Rodney was opening the show for an Italian singer named uh, Jimmy Roselli. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Suave Italian guy. Mm -hmm. And Rodney opened the show and Rodney destroyed the crowd. I've never seen my parents laugh like that. And I had an aha moment. I said, that's it. I know what I want to do for a living. Wow. 12. And I never looked back. Oh, that's incredible, man. Was it? Was that helping you connect with your parents? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they were a little worried when I actually, you know, at 12, when you say I'm going to be a comedian, they, you, know, you, you know, they go, oh, yeah, he's going to be a fireman and doctor, you know. Right. But then, yeah. then I, I hung in with the thing and kept listening to albums. I used to go to Lincoln Center and listen to tapes and albums there. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was incredible. And then my parents got to see me a bunch. Probably the biggest gig at the time was they saw me at Radio City Music Hall. Wow. Great gig. I opened, yeah. for Kenny, opened for Kenny Loggins. Oh my God. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you an amazing story there. If you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Please. You, you got nothing to do. No. So uh, where are you going? You're not going anywhere. No, no. I, I got you. I got you by the, you know, how do you say it in Italian? The Cajones? Uh, yeah. The Calzones. Cajones. Cajones. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, you know, when you do these gigs, sometimes they got a local radio guy introducing you like from WKR. Yeah. CD, yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. So, Radio City Music Hall, when you're opening for people, sometimes it's still coming in, mm -hmm. and it's a tough spot, especially in a big place like Radio City with 6,000 people. So, all of a sudden, he's talking. The MC is about to bring me on. His mic goes dead, completely oh, dead. But he's a radio guy, he doesn't understand anything, and he decides to bring me out anyway with no microphone to 6,000 people. This oh, isn't the comic strip. With 40 people, <laughs> and you still want them to move up front. You don't right. want them sitting in the back. Right. So anyway, I start going like this. I go, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. And he goes, what? I'm not coming. And I don't go out. Mm -hmm. Took him 15 minutes to fix the mic. When I wow. went out, 6,000 people were already seated and perfect. Wow. And uh, my parents got to see me get a this big ovation there, big write-up in the, I think in the post or the news. Funny I was, but that wouldn't have happened 
if I went out earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would have the kiss of death. Yeah, that's oh right. My God. That is brutal, that man. What <laughs> <laughs> that took that took a lot of tenacity though on your part too to be like, nope, sorry, not coming yeah. out until it's ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to do that a couple of times. I'll tell you it, one time, which was one of the scariest sets I ever did. As long as we're on sets for a second. Yeah, yeah. When I'm with Seinfeld and we're in um, middle of the country somewhere, a little town, and we, we go out for lunch in the afternoon. We always go for a walk together. And he stops at this place and he orders a tuna sandwich from this deli where you bite at the counter. And I look at the tuna and I go, Jerry, it doesn't look good. Mm. And he goes, ah, it was fine. So he buys it. And when we go to his room to pick him up, me and the uh, producer, we go to his room to get him to go to the show. He's mm. sitting over a table like this, sweating, sick as a dog. I mean, unbelievably sick. Yeah. And he goes, ah, the tuna. It's her. It's her. So I said, I told you. It's her. And they go, do you, you want to cancel the show? And the, the producer goes, he goes, no. No, I'll be all right. So uh, we almost carry him downstairs, put him in the car, and he's soaking wet. And this is what they say to me. I said, you sure you want to do this, Jerry? He goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, listen, listen. You go on and just stay out there <laughs> until I'm ready. Now there's 4,000 people. Just stay out there. I said, well, any day, how long? I don't know. Until I feel better. So I don't know if I'm going 15 or 55. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scary, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah, you be that's a little, horrifying. A little frightening? Yeah. So uh, luckily I ended up doing about 35 minutes and then he was ready. Let me tell you something. He did one of the best shows I ever saw him do in his life. Wow. He had snapped out of it and he was such a pro. It was, it was sensational to say the least. Oh my God. I was who the who the hell was on the other night? We were just talking about how when you're a comedian, for some reason, as soon as you're under that spotlight, whatever you're feeling, whatever's ailing you, I had, I did four, uh, four five shows in Michigan. I had the worst flu of my entire fucking life. Right. When I was on stage for an hour, it it was like <coughs> I was nobody knew a fucking thing. The minute I stepped off and the show was over, I was like shaking. They were handing me tea and soup or whatever, and I just. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and that was yeah. Maybe? Richard Klein. Yeah. Robert Klein. Robert Klein. Robert sorry. Klein. Sorry. Yeah, I was like Richard kind. I was like, what? Uh, Robert Klein. Yeah, it's like whenever he was saying something, he had a hurt knee when he was on stage. Or he had a, it had something going on with his knee. Said the same thing. When you're on stage, you don't feel a thing. Yeah, um, I had the same. We all have that experience, you know, because the show has to go on. And, yeah. Uh, you know who's going to replace me when I'm in Arkansas? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we'll call another guy. He'll be here in two days. <laughs> tell, tell the people to wait. Just come to just drink their drinks really slow. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said the thing about the radio guy not knowing what to do. It's so weird because I feel like to us, it's common sense. Like you don't introduce right. anybody with the mic busted. I did a a, a charity event. Um, they had a, they, they you know, a <clears throat> bunch of rich people under a fucking tent. It looked like Hogwarts, you know, the whole thing. And uh, they had a guy on that was um, uh, an, an auctioneer before the comics. Sure. So I'm going to okay. go on. And uh, he he does his like, you know, the whole thing was out of order. So even the order wasn't right. But whatever. It's it's, it's a gig. It's money. Um, he uh, he's he's just running through his shit and he gets everybody to donate everything. The food's not even out yet. And he goes, all right, I'm going to bring out your next comic. Oh, you're going to love this guy. But and everybody is standing up. And they're all going to get their food. No one's in their seat. Everybody's right. talking, and he's just talking and introducing me. And I did. I had to do the same thing. I, I had. To, I just. I was like, absolutely not. 
<laughs> yeah. like, like I was like, I had to walk over to the, the woman who was running the thing. And I was like, you got to get him to sit down. Like, I'm not going on. No one's paying attention. There's no point. And everybody's right. going to be pissed at me. Yeah. Right. Had a- right. Uh, we, we've all had that. And a good thing to do, and it, it doesn't make it a hundred percent, but in your contract, if you have a contract, you stipulate that people have to be seated, paying attention, and if possible, no serving when you're on. Oh, man. I didn't yeah. know you could do that. I got to start doing the Yeah, you, you absolutely do. You know, George Carlin uh, said that uh, food, you cannot compete with food. Right. They got a, a steak sizzling on the plate and potatoes and the aroma, and you're up there talking about your mother. They don't want to hear this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's always a the guy's back to you. And this is what Carlin said. All you see him cutting the steak. <laughs> so uh, did you, did you see his documentary yet? I'm up to uh, a little past the middle of uh, number two. There's only two been released so far. There. Right. It's only two. two. It's, it's one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good. Judd Apatow does uh, the crazy. I did. I went to the um, uh, premiere when it, in New York. And uh, we got to see the second part of it. And I was, it was just, it was forget that could have been enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like before there was even a first part. So, so good. Was Kelly there? Kelly Carlin? Kelly was there. Kelly's one. Yeah. Um, Kelly was there. Um, Judd Apatow was there. Mike Bonfiglio was there. And then we went to the after party afterward. And Judy Gold was there. And Gary Gullman. Um, Dan Pasternak. Um, who the hell else yeah. showed up? A bunch of us were there. And it was, uh, it was so, it was so great. Do you like, cause I loved, I liked your book. I killed, um, you did that with Rich Scheidner. He's been on the show. He's a good friend. Um, I love all this stuff coming out about comedy right now. I mean, from between the books and the documentaries and everybody kind of, you know, uh, collecting this history of it, do you feel like, um, not a responsibility I want to say, but like, are you enjoying everybody kind of documenting and, and kind of yeah. writing down all the history? Cause you guys, like lived in the perfect time, like started in the perfect time for comedy. Right. I mean, it, it, there's nothing better than than that era. I think we're but we're like, doing good now, but it's not as you know. Like jazz, know. it's an American art form. I think you know, mm-hmm. stand up comedy. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Scheidner has a beautiful one man show. Yes, on yes. The history of stand up comedy. Yeah, he goes all the way back. Before stand up comedy, if you you look at silent movies, mm-hmm. there are no silent movie. Jewish stars. Wow. Chaplin's not Jewish. Keaton's not Jewish. Fatty Arbuckle's not Jewish. Right. Um, you name it, you know, Stan Laurel was in, in silent Hardy. Nobody's Jewish. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until you give the Jews a microphone where you can hear what they have to say that they started uh, cracking people up. Wow. It's just interesting, right? Yeah. That's that a good point. Jews have to move their mouth. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. Think everybody thinks people who don't know me think I'm Jewish. Other other Jewish people think I'm. They mistake me for Jews, and Italians always know I'm Italian. Right. But like other like it's the weirdest. Which I, I don't know if it's because I grew up in Brooklyn, <clears throat> or or what it is, but or just the stand. Or I don't know if it's just the stand up thing or the way I talk. But I think like I feel like I was raised because I'm such a comedy nerd. Like when I was younger, <clears throat> I had Franklin Ajay's book uh, Comic Insights. I carried that thing around like the Bible. Uh, and it had everybody in it interviewed in it or whatever, but I don't know. I feel like I just, I, I learned to speak from watching like you guys. So it's just, it's like ingrained in the system, but there, there is a very unique, um, you know, point of view throughout that. Do you remember, what do you consider to be the first comedian? Cause I know that's kind of like heavily debated. I remember Richard Zoglin said it was Bob Hope he considers to be, but I think other people say vaudeville back to, 
like well, the vaudeville um, days. I think uh, Milton Berle, um, there's video of him from the 30s doing stand-up um, that I know. But much much behind that, I, I don't know. But uh, Burrow was out there, Hope. Mm -hmm. Got a chance, Burrow. I'll tell you a Burrow story. Yeah, please. Yeah. So I was in Montreal. I think it was 91, and they were honoring uh, – it was – Honoring Milton Berle. He, they were giving him the uh, the big honor, you know, great comedian award. It, I think the first yeah. year they ever did that. Mm. And I um, went over to his dressing room and I'm a nervous performer. I have stage fright. I still wow. do. It's better yeah. than it used to be. Much mm. better. But I got it. Mm. It's, I used to be paralyzed and still go up on stage. I almost fell off stage twice passing wow. out. Wow. Yeah. Once at Caesar's Palace, I, I couldn't breathe. I almost fell off the stage. What, what do you do right before you go? Do you do something before you go on to kind of quell it? You can't. Wow. Once you know, it's like once he comes to visit you, Mister Mister Stage Fright. I mean, I do meditate. I do meditate twice a day, but you know, it helps. Mm -hmm. And it, it, but this is with me. So wow. there's no shrink in the world and get rid of this baby. So uh, <laughs> so I go to Milton Burrow's dressing room and introduce myself because I I do like to introduce myself to people. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah. Mister Burrow, I, I, I knock. He says, Come in. Who are you? I said, My name is Mark Schiff. I'm a young comedian. He goes, Oh, Mark, how you doing? Have a cigar. He gives me a cigar. And I said, uh, I just want to say hello. He goes, uh, so how are you doing? I go, I'll tell you the truth. I'm, I'm really nervous tonight. Mm. There's 3,000 people. You know, and, he, and he, this is what he said to me. He goes, you know, kid, if you weren't funny, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> Great, right? Then he said to me, I'm going to try to watch you. And now I almost peed my pants because the last thing I want him to do is watch me. <laughs> now my stage fright is triple because now I got to worry about Milton Burrow standing in the in the wings. I don't want him, but I can't say don't stand, you know, because you don't want right. certain people there. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, I go and I, I I get through and I have a pretty good set. Mm. And I come off and he's standing there. And he goes, I told you you were a good kid. Wow. And then he walks off backstage, big stage. He walks off into the dark. And then he does his show. Cut to 10 years later, I go to the Hillcrest Country Club. You know the Hillcrest? Yeah. Club, yeah. And I'm doing a show there, and it just so happens at lunch is Milton Burrow with five other guys. Wow. So I go over 10 years. I, I haven't seen him, ever talked to him again. I go over, I go, Mr. Burrow, I just want to say hello. He goes, what's your name? I go, Mark Schiff. He looks at me, he goes, you're that scared kid from Montreal, huh? Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. That is beautiful. Then, yeah, it was incredible. What a memory. And then he gives me a cigar again. And, uh, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Love those guys. Though, I, I wish I'd gotten to meet some of those guys. Like Rodney, what you what you mentioned before, I like he's one of those one of the few guys I really, really wish I'd gotten to meet because his reputation of just being like one of the nicest dudes and somebody who loves comedians and loves comedy and, and was super nice to everybody. And he's just fucking funny, like so, so funny. Um, but yeah, never got to meet he, him before. He was, the, he was the best Tonight Show comedian in history. Yeah. yeah. Nobody I, killed him on the Johnny Carson show like Rodney Dangerfield. Right. And nobody killed Johnny. Yeah. Like Rodney. He, you know, he was, and he was so nice to me and so many other people. Um, I'll tell you another funny story. You want a Rodney story? Yeah, please. Yeah. <clears throat> when I'm with Seinfeld and, and Rodney had invited me up. You, when he started doing the Tonight Show, the Tonight Show was 90 minutes long. It wasn't an hour that they cut it down to. Wow. Okay. It was even longer. It was an hour 45 when they first started doing a Tonight Show. Wow. Comedians, instead of doing five minutes, used to have to do nine minutes. Wow. Okay. okay. And then another five or six sitting on pounds. So you're talking 15 minutes each shot. That's, you know, how much yeah. material is that? I mean, it's yeah. crazy, right? 
Yeah, it's a lot of material to burn. Yeah, so I said to Rodney one day, I said, listen, I would love to see your old Tonight Shows because they don't play them over. And he goes, if you're in New York, call me and come on. And if I'm there, come on up. Mm-hmm. So I'm with Jerry. I said, why don't we call Rodney tonight and see if he's home? We'll go watch some of his old Tonight Shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again. I call Rodney. He says, come on up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know this, but Rodney is famous for wearing bathrobes. Yes, absolutely. All the time, the bathrobe and open on the bottom. So anyway, I said to Jerry, I bet you he's wearing this bathrobe when we go up there. <laughs> and Jerry goes, impossible. It's, it'd be rude. Who oh, he's, he's going to, of course, he's going to get dressed for us. Right. I said, I'll, I'll bet you a dollar. <laughs> so I, we shake hands because even a dollar, you know, you still got to shake hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go up to Rodney's house. He opens the door. He's in the bathroom. <laughs> And we both start laughing. And Rodney says, hey, I'll tell you, boy, what's so funny? What's so fucking funny? Mm-hmm. So we said, you know, I bet Jerry a dollar that you'd be in your bathrobe. He said, you want. <laughs> and he takes us into his bedroom and opens the closet. He's got like 50 bathrobes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he starts talking about them like they're works of art. He goes, I got this one in Paris. I got this one in Utah. This is from the Hotel Seville. Unbelievable, right? Now, up there with him was a guy named Joe Antis. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, Joe, Joe Antis. I know, I know who he is, yeah. Lenny Bruce said he was the funniest guy that ever lived, and Rodney Absolutely. said the same thing about him. And Joe was just sitting there smoking a joint quietly wow. and yeah. didn't say much to us. And Rodney and I and Jerry watched the shows, and then uh, we took off. And it was a sensational, sensational night. Wow, man. That's awesome. That's a great memory. I love yeah. that you were that, like um, – because sometimes a lot of times I talk to people on here and they're like very skittish about approaching people who are who are kind of famous or, or whatever in the business. But you don't you seem to be able to just go right up to people, and introduce yourself. Was that the comedian in you or is that just who you are naturally? I well, a lot of these guys uh, knew me, you know, they, they'd heard of me mm-hmm. or knew me. Mm-hmm. And from seven years at the clubs in New York, they, they would come in. Rodney would come in and do his Tonight Show um, nice. and practice it. And uh, you, you got to meet these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I do have a tendency. I would go, when when I was much younger, I would go up to people and ask them um, if I could talk to them. It happened with Woody Allen one night. I was with Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, no way. Listen to this. Yeah. One night, Gilbert and I never got on at the clubs when we first started for years. Mm-hmm. But we, you hang out anyway just to show your allegiance, right? You got right. They got to see your face. Yeah. The Jews say you put them. That's yeah. face. So anyway, <laughs> Gilbert and I would hang out at the improv on 44th and 9th till around 1030 at night. And we realized we're not getting on. Mm-hmm. And we would walk to catch a rising star from there on 77th and 1st. Mm-hmm. So it's about an hour walk. Night. One night we're walking on Central Park East, Fifth Avenue. And you see coming towards me two guys. One is Woody Allen. And the other we realize is Marshall Brickman, the guy that wrote his early movies with him. Wow. Okay. So as it gets close, I go. To Gilbert, there's Woody. And he goes, yeah. And I go, hey, Woody. And he stops and he's nervous. It's mm-hmm. 1 o'clock in the morning. It's like 1 or 12.30 in the morning now. Oh, my God. Central Park East, two guys. Mm-hmm. And I just said to him, we're comedians. We just came from the improv and we're going to catch right. I, I, I told him to quell his fear. Yeah. And then I said, we would like to talk to you sometime. Can you, can you, can you give us a little, you know, can we meet you somewhere? And he said, come down to the Michael's Pub where he played clarinet every Monday night. Yeah, He said, come down next Monday, and in between sets, I'll talk to you. Oh, my God. So we went down there, and he talked to us for 40 minutes. And what was interesting, he said, 
if you want to tell me how funny I am, how much you like my stuff, you know, how talented, let's end the conversation right now. If you want to talk about comedy, we'll do that. But I don't want to hear how good and how funny, what a genius. I, I don't want to hear that. So we talked. It was great. And when Jack Rollins, his aide, his manager, heard that Woody did this, he couldn't believe it because he said Woody never did that for anybody. Wow. Wow. That's amazing, incredible. Right? Yeah, that's really awesome. What when you were, what was the thing like when you talked to me about comedy and stuff like that? How far along into comedy were you? Were you you were just were you did you get on stage yet? Were you just open micing stuff? Or I, I, I was trying to uh, pass <laughs> auditions. I passed the audition at the improv. I wasn't getting on. I was okay. probably in my third year. Oh wow! Okay. The only place I was getting on was uh, the comic strip. Oh, okay. Was that the so uh, I asked this question of everybody who's been between the comic strip and the uh, and Catch a Rising Star. People say comics. One was the nerdy one. One was the cool one. What in your mind was the difference between the two? No doubt about it. Catch a Rising Star was the cool one. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was show business. Okay. Uh, people dressed up to go there. You know, they were in suits and ties. Um, the really famous people stopped in there uh, when they were in town. Carson went there, got wow. a table. Mm -hmm. um, it was real nightclub-y. The closest mm -hmm. thing a comedy club was ever to like the old Copa. Oh, the wow. comic strip was uh, the most incredible place to work out, but it was um, the guys that owned it were Bronx bar bar owners, mm -hmm. Richie Tinkin and Bob, Bob Wax was a lawyer, but, um, and John McGowan, they owned, you know, bars in the Bronx. So that's kind of what this place was modeled after. It wasn't modeled after yeah, a sleek, sure. chic place. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that lady on stage, they had it one time. <laughs> You know, so yeah. Do you remember like meeting? Because I know your your crew was kind of like you said, like Seinfeld, Riser, Larry Miller, probably Carol Leifer. But do you remember people who you were they who you first started with, or did you meet them eventually down the line? Because that was started with every one of them together. Started with every one of them together. Wow. When we started, Jerry was uh, a waiter at a place called Bruinberger. Oh my god! And no. I think he sold light bulbs. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, something like that. And uh, Riser was partially working for his family. They had a food business. Hmm. Um, Carol Leaf was starting out. We all started together. Who, who was the, uh, who was the class before you? Was it Lena? Was it no, Richard it Lewis? Richard Lewis, Ed Bluestone. Um, okay. Oh, Ed Bluestone. Yeah. Oh. Andy Kaufman. Okay. Uh, Elaine oh. Boozler. Okay. Bobby Kelton. Wow. The Untouchables. Oh wow! Okay, Marvin Braverman, right? Belzer, Bob Shaw. Was the uh, was like the Tonight Show like so? Uh, obviously, TV was the next like the ultimate goal. But did you guys have like a a plan set in mind, or were you just thrilled to be doing stand up? Was it like getting into the clubs, doing road work, Carson, and then whatever? Good question. There was no road work when we started. There was nothing. Oh, wow. There was the mountains, nineteen seventy seven. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to go to the mountains and be cast as old Jewish comedians or, you know, get, get not that it was a bad place to work. Those guys were unbelievable. The Freddie yeah. Romans and all they, they were some of the best comics ever lived. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, we were a little younger, a lot younger, hipper. And um, there was no there were no clubs on the There was like from here to California, there were like 20 comedians in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. Wow. There were the black clubs that they called the Chitlin Circuit. They oh, had right. their own, yeah. own thing going. Uh, Tom Deason said he worked at the Chitlin Circuit. I believe it. Yeah. Um, and then the club started opening. People who wanted to own discotheques saw that was going down and maybe a comedy club. It was easier. Oh, wow. And uh, 
we immediately, our group went to becoming headliners. Wow. Because we were the best of our group and these clubs were open. So they had a hire and uh, we went right to headliners and never looked back. We never had a middle or open. Oh my God. That is incredible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you want to add, like, did you like, cause I know the sitcom thing was kind of like people were handing out stuff like that all the time. You know what I mean? Like it was like, you get on Carson, you get a sitcom, you get a deal. Right. Was that something that was on your mind? Did you want to act or did you really just want to do stand up? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't as, as simple as that. Jerry Seinfeld was on NBC, I think 50 times maybe on, wow. you know, and they never cast him to be in a show. Jeez. They never even thought about him. Hmm. They didn't even know he was there, kind of. And he was on wow. TV more than anybody. Killing him. Just killing him. Right. Um, we all wanted to do a show. Some got it and uh, some didn't. I I had stage fright and, and nerves I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. So when I went in for readings and auditions, I was not good. Okay. And I had studied acting for years. I studied HB Studio down on Bank Street. I studied all kinds of places. And it didn't take... I mean, I was uh, just, I would freeze and I, I couldn't remember my words. Blah, 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 blah. Did you so, get you know, that when you were, how did you handle, because because I can imagine with the stage fright and, and everything, like, did you handle, how did you handle heck? Like, was there a lot of heckling things going on back then? Like, how did you handle like situations like that? Did it break you? Like what? Or, like uh, if there was a heckler in the audience, if there was somebody like an aggressive heckler, yeah. if you had that to deal yeah. with, like if, if you were dealing with your own anxiety about stage fright yeah. and maybe forgetting some stuff, then what happened to you when like, let's say something in the audience, like were you yeah. able to that, get over it? That didn't bother me. You know, it, it, everybody has a different thing that is is their boogeyman. Yeah. yeah. You know, like uh, for some comics, they were, I was, I was really good with hecklers. I could, I could demolish them. Nice. Um, and I loved it. I, I was most proud of myself when I, I really would come up with a, a line that would just, you know, out of nowhere right. in the, your head, you know, you just go, oh, God, that was friggin' brilliant. That, yeah, yeah. I, that line is worthless anywhere else in the world. <laughs> but I can't believe I just put this Rubik's Cube together in front of these people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, but just performing would get mm -hmm. me. Nice. It would get me. But writing, interesting enough, um, I never had st um, I never had writer's block. And I could write mm -hmm. like crazy, whether it's stand up or my book or whatever it is. Nice. Never had a fear of the typewriter. I had a fear of human beings in front of me. I never, I never saw them as my friends. I was talking to uh, uh, Susie Essman about this, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, Susie, my problem, a big problem, was I never saw the audience as, as people, my friends. I, I just didn't think they would like me. I thought I was pulling the wool over their eyes. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I always saw them as friends and people that would care about me. Wow. See, I feel like I'm somewhere in the older. middle. And it was, uh, it was an older comic at the time when I was younger who told me, they were like, you know, the audience, like you have to think of it like the audience is rooting for you. You know, it's like, they don't want you to fail. And yeah. for some reason that changed the way I thought about it when I was going up on stage. I was like, oh yeah, they just want to have a good time too. And they don't want you to suck. So it, like, I, I felt like we were on a team after that. Not necessarily that we were friends, but I felt like the team thing is somewhere in the middle of that, you know? Yeah, and, and God bless, I wish I had that, but I would uh, have a gig... And I know the people were spending 50 bucks or something to see me with the drinks and this on Saturday night. And I was thinking, these people worked all week and they're wasting their money on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 50 bucks each. I mean, who do, you know, ugh, God, I can't believe, you know. I would feel mm -hmm. that when I was starting out. Well, you guys didn't have to do bringer shows, but when I first started, I didn't have to do them for very long because I got taken out on the road pretty quickly by a headliner. But, um, 
I when I started, they were bringer shows and they were the fucking kiss of death of comedy. I think yeah, like it was yeah. like I started in 2005 and the clubs had figured out they could just rip people off by having people who wanted to be comedy, you know, right. and then bring an audience. I always felt super guilty because I was like, man, I've only got this five minutes. And in order for me to get on stage, I got to bring my friends who've already seen me do this five minutes and they're paying money and they may be the only ones in the audience and they got to fuck it. So I, it was this whole, it was the, it was death. It was always just the worst thing. And then I would try to do new shit. Cause I'm like, I got, I got to do something, but they yeah. were untested. So it was just the worst, worst fucking thing. Oh God. I know. You know, and when, when I knew somebody was coming to see me like friends or family, mm-hmm. I would tell the seater at the club, make sure you put them in the back. I don't want to see their faces up front. <laughs> and they invariably always want to sit in the front row and stare yep. at you because they're so proud of you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They're so happy to know a funny guy and this and that. And I go, no, put him outside somewhere. Let him sit <laughs> yes. in the car. I'll, I'll, oh I'll put a Bluetooth God. speaker in. <laughs> <laughs> you had to jump on the COVID shows beforehand. You're like, leave him in the car. Let him honk. Yeah. You um, know, when I, when I knew my parents were coming, I remember one night at the comic strip, I was so nervous and I walked around the block 10 times, like just thinking, I, I can't do this with my parents sitting there. Mm-hmm. My parents, I didn't even think, I thought, you know, I, I, it was terrible, terrible thing to carry around, but I've gotten through it. So nice. I, my friends would do, so it would be one of those things where like my friends would come and see me and it would be a good show. And I'd be like, you are never coming to see me again. Right. Because this is it. <laughs> but but on, on at a spite, I remember one time I got booked at this. It was just, it was stupid. And it was a, a, like a local gig and this restaurant that you don't have out there because you don't have garbage restaurants. Um, but it was called Cluck You. And it was the lowest of the low chicken places, but they wanted to do stand up. Wow. And my manager at the time was like, hey, do you want to do a Cluck You? And I was like, no. Uh, but I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do other gigs. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let me just go dig around this place. So I go to do it and m- two of my friends show up and I just went, why? Yeah. Why on earth? Adam? I'm like, I'm in, a, I'm in a theater in a week. I'm in New York and two, you know, why? And they were like, oh, we're not missing this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, fuck you both. You yeah. know what the worst thing is when your friends say they're going to come and then they go, you got a lot of new material? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is like, Give me a gun and let me put these people out of their misery because uh, I, I don't want to deal with this. Oh, you got to know you got to do 40 minutes. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is awful. I to this day and it's been I've, I've been doing stand up for over 16 years. I remember one gig so fucking well because I ate it. So there was there was literally no reason for me to 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 eat to eat it this badly. Like literally at this point, like I had uh, I had just opened. For Jimmy Fallon before he took over for Conan the first time. The first time he was taking over for late night. I was on a high and then I did this show and I was still working part a part-time job. So I was still working at a library and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a, a local show and make some money. Everybody's going to come out. Half of my work family came out. Like People I worked with came out and then friends and people's fucking mothers from when I knew them in high school. Like wow. everybody had come out. I, I, I ate balls so hard on that stage. <laughs> Couldn't explain to you why. I was like sweating bullets for the first time. Sure. And uh, yeah, and I remember, and I feel like I, I genuinely wanted to apologize to people and be like, I don't know what happened. Right. Uh, but I couldn't because they all were lying to me. And they were like, and I was like, now this is what they think I do. 
<laughs> wow, you know. yeah, right. Yeah, I'm like, right. and I, Tom knows this because I've told Go him. Go ahead, I was going to ask that. Yeah, somebody left me a note on my car that said, uh, that said, you fucking suck. <laughs> and the, this, is, this is the best part. I didn't park anywhere near the actual venue. So oh, it wow, was sorted out. It was someone who fucking knew what car I drove. So it's like, what? What? Whose who's mother wrote this and left this to me? Yeah. Wouldn't you, loved, wouldn't you have loved to hear the conversation in the, their cars when they were driving home? <laughs> that would be priceless on tape. <laughs> I never even thought of that. Yeah. I would love that. I would really would. It's so hilarious to me. Uh, but it's also moments like that. Do you ever think about that and then go like, holy shit, we're still doing it in spot. Like, that's the weirdest thing. If you, I think if you suck that badly at any other job, you would probably quit and find another job. But we go, I'm going to book five more gigs. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the old, you know, fall off the horse. You got to get right back on. Otherwise, yeah. it's too frightening, the, um, the thought of not doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill Cosby once uh, said, um, I remember... I went to see him a few times and uh, he said, you know, we all, he said, stand-up comedy is like flying a jet plane. Every once in a while they go down, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. He said, that's it a happens, good. Yeah. It happens to all of us. You know, it, that's um, dark, but it's I, true. I, I, when I saw Milton, Milton Burrow opened for Frank Sinatra at uh, Forest Hills tennis stadium, and I remember wow. seeing him completely die in, on stage, and he was 60 years into the business. Wow. Sinatra went on around 7. It was the summer, so it was still light out when Milton Berle went on. Outdoors, thousands mm -hmm. of people coming in. Mm -hmm. Nobody listened to him. He was doing all savers. Wow. wow. And goodbye. Yeah. You know, when they asked Milton Berle, are you afraid of death? He had that great line. He goes, no, I've died in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, <laughs> I've been Utah. <laughs> I love it. I, I it's one of those things that I kind of wish we could explain to regular people that they're going to be because so, like you know I'll be going to do a gig and it'll be a big gig and somebody will, I'll I'll come off and I'll be really excited that it went well like genuinely excited and they're like sure. why you've been doing this forever I'm like are you fucking kidding me like it doesn't matter like no I'm any but it's one of those things where you're like you know I I could have like I hate to say it but you know for me sometimes my own head gets in the way and. I'm having this weird out-of-body experience where I go, fuck, this one is not going to be. And maybe the audience is enjoying it, but it doesn't matter because I know I've turned on autopilot or, or, or something is wrong and I'm just whatever. And it's not a good set. And it's and it, and, it, and I can't, I don't have any rhyme or reason for yeah, it. But haven't you ever had the experience? Like I've, I've had an experience where I was like, this is the worst. I'm changing careers. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Yeah. And then somebody at the end is like, you were incredible. Oh, this yeah. And I'm like, well, were you at the same event that yeah. I was just at? And then like, I always think these people must be slightly mentally challenged. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, I'm always like, what's wrong with them? Um, yeah. You know, but no, I know what you mean. I, I, I'm, I'm glad when people don't see it. You know what I mean? Because then I'm like, oh, OK, maybe, you know, having done it so many times, you be, you're able to put up that facade and it looks and sounds natural and it's fine right but you know you know you know you miss a joke you sure. forget a line yeah it's terrible you, it's a you know painful that, feeling you know that joke when uh let's say you get off stage and a woman comes over to you and she says uh god that was the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life you are the funniest person and you look at her and go which show did you see 
<laughs> the first to second. Yeah, it That's was uh, absolutely true. You know, I, I actually made a decision years ago, and this mm -hmm. might help never to demean or degrade what I've done to somebody that comes over and says, boy, that was really good. When I, in my heart, know it wasn't, right. I used to do that. They come over and go, Mark, that was great. And I go, really? I didn't think I really had it. I, yeah. No more excuses. I wiped them off the table. Wow. I just go, thank you. Appreciate oh, that. That's good advice. Yeah. It really yeah. helps. And and that, that um, and that's what they want to hear anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 Especially because I guess they're extending a courtesy too, regardless yeah, of what they may actually think. They don't want you hear you whining about how. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Save, save that for when you get home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a question. So now you were saying how certain guys had other jobs. Did you have a day gig before you hit the stage? Well, you, like you said, when you were 12 years old, you knew where you yeah. wanted to go. Was there no in between? Um. So when I first started doing it, I was 18. I went up on stage. I had such a bad set. I didn't get up for five years. Wow. Never went on stage again for five years. Studied acting, dance, all this stuff, but never on stage. But then I came back at uh, 23. And um, no, I didn't have a job. Um, how I supported myself is great. <laughs> I had a loft in Soho. And okay. when I lived there, hold on to your seats. It was 2,500 square feet, $350 a month. Oh, okay, to, to rent this floor. Wow. To rent a, it was 5,000 square foot floor. The guy put a, a thing in the middle, 2,500 square feet, New York, and uh, 350 a month. So my friend, a non-Jew, my friend John Bennett, very handy <laughs> with his hands. I'm more of a foreman type of guy. You know, I, 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 I direct what, a little back with that, but I don't, I don't get involved in the actual manual labor. He built... He built three bedrooms in here by himself and put a toilet in. Wow. So the rent is $350. We've got three bedrooms and we get a third roommate. We charge him $300. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. So my rent is $25 a month <laughs> in Soho, 2,500 square feet. Now, there's a capper to this. We put in, you ever see those those heaters? That they're gas heaters. They hang from the, the thing there. Yeah. BT like eight thousand BTUs to warm up this place. Mm -hmm. Con Edison sends us a bill our first month, and it says uh, there's an E next. It says five dollars and an E next to it, which means estimate. Mm -hmm. and okay. Every month for three years, we got five dollars and an E, and then I get a bill for thirty three thousand dollars. Oh my yeah, listen God! So I call Con Edison. And the woman says, you know, um, yeah, it was an estimate. and uh, But this is what we figure, because the size of the thing over a three-year period is about $33,000. And she said, the, the reason we didn't send it, because the meter was broken, and uh, we didn't get around to fixing it. So so I said, listen, I'm a comedian. I'm not making any money. I, I don't have $33,000. And she said, hold on. And she goes to talk to somebody. She comes back, and she says, we're going to waive it. Wow. And she, wow. She, because it was their fault. Yeah. She took the responsibility and they waived the 33 grand. Oh wow. my God. That's incredible. Yeah. So, wow. What luck. So, by the way, when when our roommate moved out and was paying the 300, we got another roommate and we charged him 350. <laughs> so, that's how I, uh, those guys actually, I, I love them and they put me through my comedy college by not wow. having to work wow. all day. 
That's, that's the answer to your question. Brilliant. That's a that's a great yeah. answer. Yeah, that is incredible. Do you remember your first paid gig? Yeah, I got twenty dollars working on Eighty uh, Sixth Street. Um, I don't remember the exact gig, but the, we heard there was a job up there. They were paid twenty dollars, and I ran up there, and the guy said, "Yeah, you can go on." And he gave me a twenty dollar bill, and I couldn't believe it. Wow! Yeah. I couldn't believe I got this much money for for doing this because I was getting nothing before. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was, uh, you know, I tell you, I tell you, it was a very when I was working with Diana Ross, um, I was getting five thousand a week, and my right. father, who was a truck driver, never earned more than two fifty, three hundred a week, you know, four hundred a week at the most. When he heard that I got this, he actually had to sit down. He was so proud of me, he couldn't believe that his son was making five thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, it was really. Uh, extraordinary i'm curious about open because i know uh rich seidner opened for musicians we had a bunch of comics on that opened. what was the relationship like between that because i know paul reiser opened for melissa manchester i know yeah. a bunch of other comedians opened for melissa you opened for diana ross you just said was it like your agent that you both had the same agents how did you guys get hooked up with musicians specifically yeah so with uh, the musicians it usually was with the same agency i was with icm okay and <clears throat> when i was living in new york Chris Albrecht, who was the head of HBO, the, HBO, the head of HBO. Yeah. Originally, before he became way before he became that, he moved from uh, New York to California and became an agent at ICM. And he, he said to me and a couple of other people, come on out to California, we'll handle you. Oh, so nice. we moved to California. And ICM had a lot of big acts like Kenny Loggins, Air Supply, Diana Ross. Mm. So they would, unless they had specific acts that they, wanted yeah we'd go with them cool that's awesome and then did you, did you actually get like did you develop a relationship with these people like were you close or was it just comic musician most of the time and then that was it <clears throat> no with them um never really developed a relationship you know they're they're busy people they're you know they're doing their thing they get mm -hmm. on stage they get off you know there's big stars and they're they're going to do their thing Diana Ross was always complimentary, always waiting in the wings when I get off. Nice set, Mark. Nice shot. Oh, nice. You know, and uh, they were all really nice. One night, uh, I worked with Sheena Easton. She was the only one that we, oh. we we talked about. I worked with Frankie Valley. I was on a bus tour with him in the Four Seasons for a year. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's great, man. Real perfectionist. He was incredible. He sang his heart out every night. Mm. And when the band didn't do what they he wanted them to do, he let them have it. Wow. Wow. He cared a lot. They yeah. They all cared a lot. Hmm. And he's still touring, which is crazy. He is, yeah. He's still, yeah, he's still on the go. 86. See, also, when we started doing this, there were no cell phones. <clears throat> so um, I had a tour. I, I toured with Air Supply, and they wouldn't let me on the bus with that. Yeah, they wouldn't. I don't know why or whatever, but they wouldn't let me on the bus. So I had to rent the car and drive and meet them at the next gig. Oh, so some of these gigs were four or 500 miles. So as soon as I was done, I would jump in the car. I just start driving like a maniac. You know, 400 miles is, you know, yeah, a lot. And right. especially at night and some of these country roads, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and I'm a nervous driver because I'm always thinking this next turn, there's a deer just going to jump out in front of me and I'm going to kill him and kill my, you know, it's just crazy. I'm, I'm a nervous driver. I think the brakes are going to go on a hill. Right. So. <laughs> This one gig, I drive 500 miles, I check into the hotel, and then I go to the theater, mm -hmm. and they go, oh, the show's canceled. 
<laughs> we need to cancel air supply. Yeah, the guy got laryngitis last night, so they had to cancel. I just drove 500 miles, but no cell phone, so you, you don't stop. Oh you just keep going. God. Wow, Man. I never even thought of that. That's yeah, crazy. nobody can reach you. I was gonna, no you know, internet, no nothing. I think I, I think I, I don't know if I asked to see who was still around in air supply to come on the show, but what we're going to do is if we get any of them, we're going to bring you on at the same time. We're going to ambush them <laughs> and you're going to ream them out for not. Those, that's those guys were incredible singers. Yeah. So Higgins or whatever his name and the other guy, uh, they mm. were just beautiful songs. I, I don't know how they stopped writing those songs. I don't know. They were beautiful yeah. songs. They were great. Oh, never. My love. That's a beautiful song. And I don't Gorgeous. think you played enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great thing. I don't know well, if it was him or their manager that didn't want it, you know, but uh, you know, right. you meet some crazy people. Yeah. yeah. What was the? What, how did you wind up deciding you wanted to move out to LA? Was it that everybody went out like because Seinfeld didn't go out to LA right away, but Riser did, I think, right? Riser went out. Um, Jerry, Larry David did not really. Right. He was one of the last to go out. He was still in New York in '83, I think. Um, yeah, Chris you Albrecht. Go? Chris Albrecht said, come on out and we'll get you some acting and we'll, we'll send you up for sitcoms. And, uh, they were, they were good to me, but Did I was, you... I, again, I was such a bad actor. They once, there was once a part, I got a phone call from, um, just shoot me. You know, the show just, shoot Oh me. yeah. I love that show. Great show. So I get a phone call from the executive producer. She goes, uh, Mark, we wrote a part just for you. Perfect. Wow. Just for you. So I, they said, just come on down. It's, it's, you know, just, they just want to see you and just read, but you got it. Mm -hmm. I go down and I don't get my own part. You know, that's written to me. So, yeah, I, they don't give it to me. And then I see in backstage, there's a, a little ad that says, Mark Schiff type. Or just shoot me. That was like, uh, the gonads just went, just popped out of my mouth. It was so bad. Let me tell you, you know, you, you, you really have to handle rejection. Oh, yeah. Which is fine. Um, one time, I studied uh, acting with this guy, um, Michael. Why am I forgetting? He was just great. And he, he knows the president of ABC. Mm -hmm. So he says, I'm sending you up to my friend at ABC. And he's in charge. And I'm telling him about you, how good you are. And go up and see him. Mm. So I go up to see him. And I'm sitting. And, he, and he's staring at me. He keeps turning his head, looking at me like. And then he says, you know, Mark. Look at the pictures on the wall. And he has on the wall about 58 by 10s of the best looking people you've ever seen. <laughs> ABC was famous for like really good looking people. Right. And he says to me, do you think you look like any of those people? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So I look and I go, not really. He goes, I can't help you. Oh, wow. Shit. That's brutal. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. That is fucking. That's a that's a hashtag Me Too moment for you. How come you haven't written anything about that yet? <laughs> Letting all the, the holy shit. That's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, it's weird. I, I when I moved out to LA, I, I did a, I did a lot of those you know water bottle tours. You know what I mean? Where you're going from studio to studio, sure. drinking the water. Um, but they they would say the dumbest. Like they would be really interested in something I had written, a project that I had gone, and then they would do that thing where they were like, nobody really knows you, and I'd be like. That's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> like here to get whatever. But I, I had one guy say to me, um, you know, we need, we had somebody big attached to this. We, did, we need like a Will Smith. And I literally went, if I knew Will Smith, do you honestly think I would be in here right. <laughs> talking to you? I, obviously that I had to leave that meeting, but I was just like, it was the dumbest thing that yeah. I had 
we love this. Uh, it's great. We need like a Will Smith. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's what I thought you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of course. I, yeah. Why would I be here? Look at what I'm wearing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People, you know, they, they mostly say no to things and that's because yeah. they're afraid to put themselves on the line. But uh, people yeah. do break through. That's a great thing about this business. People do break through all the time. Absolutely. And what, uh, score. What was your relationship like with the uh, with the comedy store and the improv when you got out to L.A. right away? Like, was it, I'm sure you knew people at both. Yeah. So I was one of the few that they let me work both places. OK, um, that's what I read. Yeah. Mitzi how did you was, pull? How did you manage that? Mitzi was very nice to me, but Bud loved me from New York. Okay. I, I was out there. Um, he had already left, but Silver Friedman was running the improv, and we were all very close. And it was mm -hmm. like a family, and Bud liked me. And then uh, Mitzi um, liked me, too, and she gave me the best spots. I mean, I was getting 1030, 1040, you know, wow. at, at the comedy store, and then I go over the improv and do an 1115 or 9 o'clock. Nice. Wow. So it was uh, – it was sensational, but now it's it's very difficult because you have to be digitally set up and have a lot of followers and all that stuff. And, oh uh, man, I, you know it's brutal. I don't. I mean, I I really. It's one of those things where I feel like I was duped because you know when I like I said I was a comedy nerd, so I grow grown up reading comic lives and comic insights and all these books and stuff coming up and you know standing outside with a ticket <laughs> and waiting to get on and kind of the audition process. And then slowly, like all that went out the window, and now it literally is like who you have following you. Like when I was. I remember trying to get into a club in Ohio and the guy was like, uh, well, how many followers do you have? And I was right. like 25,000, but they're not all in Akron. So I don't think it, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, just sure. watch my fucking tape. Like, if you think I'm funny, that's great. And then I had another guy who vouched for me and he was like, if you're looking for funny, you know, uh, you can book, John. you know, John will headline the club. You can book John. And then he was like, but I don't know how many followers he has. And I literally didn't get the gig because I just didn't have the followers at the time. And I was like, man, I don't know what I have, what you have to fucking do. Right. It's rough. Yeah. yeah. They run the thing. So there's not much you can do except um, write a script or write your way out of it. Exactly. And, yeah. And you then, have to uh, do. <clears throat> Isn't that crazy though? That now, I mean, obviously we figured, I feel like that's another thing too. Comics are always creative and they figure a way around stuff, whether it's censorship or getting onto or any of that kind of stuff like circumventing a way just to get back onto the stage you originally wanted to be on in the first place. It's hilarious. It's like, you know, you have to literally shoot someone and then get famous and in the paper and then be like, now can I get a spot at the, you know, like whatever. It right. Is. Yeah. Right. Become a serial killer. But, uh, you know, I wrote a bunch of scripts and, uh, some of them got around and uh, did pretty good, but didn't uh, go all the way. But it, you know, one of the great things I found, I have this book coming out. Why not? Uh, lessons in Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. 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 <laughs> chutzpah. So because of my writing and stand-up, I've learned to be very succinct because mm. you got to get there fast and, and you don't want extra syllables and words. Right. You learn, you're, you're tight, tight. Mm -hmm. That's comedy. The best comedy is tight. Yep. And um, so when I wrote this book, stand-up comedy helped me an awful lot. Because I was able to get to the point very quickly, I didn't, I didn't uh, skedaddle around. Nice, yeah. So the writing that we do here is very helpful in many other places. Yeah, the best stand-up writing is closest thing to poetry. Uh, there's not an extra syllable in a in a, in a great poem. Nothing. Right. Same thing with great stand-up. We're um, do you it's do you nice. prefer the writing and like script writing and books and stuff like that over performing stand up because of the stage fright, or do you do you find them equally like enjoyable? Um, no, I, I I love stand up. I love doing it, nice. and uh, 
I'm going back on the road with Seinfeld in September. Ah, beautiful. I'm going to like five, six different cities, maybe more. Probably nice. 12, 12 cities. And uh, I love it. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm working with my friends, you know, there. But sitting down in my room by myself, I don't, being a stand up, you learn to spend a lot of time by yourself. Yeah. So it's not a big deal for me to sit alone in my room and write. Mm-hmm. You just have to learn to get rid of the, uh, the things that uh, make you go stop writing. Yeah. Like phone, a yep. shut, shut the internet while you do it. Yeah. I put yeah. a, um, a timer on my, um, on my phone. Like, so when I'm doing stuff like that, if I am writing or doing whatever, I have a lock that locks all social media apps. I can't get notifications. I can't get whatever for a certain amount of time. That way I know I'm just not going to be bothered. Yeah. I mean, think about the phone calls you've gotten over the last year and a half. Is it one, is, has there been ever been one that you couldn't wait? <laughs> No, you're right. No. Absolutely. Not one. Yeah. You can't think of one. That, oh, well, if I missed this one, it was all over. Right, right. About, even if someone's dead, they're dead. It can wait another hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to be Absolutely. so, but it's, you know. No, I hear you, man. It's great. There's so many times I'll envy not like that. I wish I was in the 80s where like yeah. they'd call, leave a message. Okay, I'll get back to them. I'll listen to my machine and I'll call you back. Yeah. That is, th- those days are gone. Now well, it's like. So- you miss a call. They don't want to, they don't even want to know you. They feel like you did them wrong. Yeah. Not even yeah. that, but like in the eighties, like I, I like, or, or even <laughs> when I was a kid, like I remember being excited to see people. I don't give a fuck. Like, because everybody's always messaging you. I'm not, I don't miss anybody. I don't no. ever like, you know, I don't, I'm not ever like glad that somebody came over. I'm always like, Oh, you texted me. And now you're here. This is awful. Yeah. <laughs> this none of this is good. Terrible. We actually have a uh, question from one of our viewers. So Lindsay had asked, do you remember writing for Roseanne and what it was yeah. like? She wanted to know. Yeah, Lindsay. Um, I wrote on Roseanne's talk show. And uh, it, Roseanne really liked me a lot. Nice. And uh, she, she, she pulled a lot of comedians um, who weren't doing well at the time out of hell. And she gave us jobs. And uh, other people weren't hiring us. She hired comedians. Wow. And she, she was just terrific. Uh, on the other hand, she was nuts. But, but she was enormously talented and enormously funny, and, and she had a, she has a very good heart. So I wrote um, in a way I never wrote before. I wrote topical jokes. So they would they would give me like eight newspapers, put me in an office by myself, and I would uh, write 15, 20 jokes. She put me in sketches with her. Nice. And she was very nice to me, very kind. She she was she was just wonderful. Uh, I you wrote with Bob Hellman, right? Bob Hellman. Trying to remember that name. I think that was somebody else, another writer on the show. It might have been. Uh, it might have been. I don't remember everybody there. I know Paul Mooney, who you mentioned in one of your yes. books. He was on the show. And He's great. Uh, and he had a sign on his uh office door, no whites permitted. <laughs> <laughs> what do you nice think of it? It was nice to work with Mooney. He was yeah, he, was, he uh, seemed like a great guy. Everybody said he was super nice with that met him and stuff. And nicer to younger comics. I love that Roseanne did that too. Is that like from the, do you think that's from you guys all kind of knowing Rodney at the time who he was also generous with comedians and would buy jokes from you guys? Like you think some of that rubbed off on that generation? Yeah. You know, Rodney is what got her going. Yeah. You know, put her on the special and all that. Um, she just has a good heart. She's sensitive to that sort of thing. Right. And, and she knows the struggle. She's, she suffered and she struggled and she's able to kind of understand, um, but on the other hand, you know, she'll fire your ass if you're not uh, right. If you're not doing well, it. 
that's the thing, man. I always felt really like, you know, again, I mean, she politically, obviously she and I don't <laughs> would, would never see eye to eye on anything like that, especially right. now. But I still feel like she got robbed from that shit. You know what I mean? Like that, that sure. is a tragedy. 20, yeah. you know, I mean, that's her whole life. And, and they, I still can't get over the fact that they just ripped that out from under her and, and, uh, without any, any kind of receipt, like nothing, you know, they could just take it from her. It was wild yeah. to me her whole that's, life. That's where we're at. But yeah. she's in Hawaii. I think she's got a farm and she's she got a peanut farm, which is so cool. Doing good. You know, so yeah. she, she's great. In fact, I wanted to get in touch with her. I haven't talked to her in a long time, but she was always very kind. I talked to her son uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and they're, they've got a, the, I think they did a documentary on her on, on reels or something like that, which is going to be out soon or something. It's going to be cool. You know, um, she's very talented. Louie Anderson was very talented. Yeah, um, but the overweight comedians, Mm -hmm. If they're good, they break through a lot faster than the trim ones. I can see that. America loves overweight people. John Panette. Yeah, Panette. And uh, the other guy, the young guy that died. Um, oh, um, uh, oh my God. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I'm missing it too. I'm sorry to say. No, no. Uh, yes, I, I'll, I'll think of it. AK something. Uh, yeah. Paul, Paul, no. May. So oh, damn it. they just break through very quickly, those guys. And uh, by the way, everyone we mentioned is enormously funny and talented. Yeah. But it just takes you a little longer when you, uh, you know, are in good shape. Oh, Ralphie May. Ralphie May. Yeah. Another one. Was, do you, do you remember somebody that broke through really quickly out of your group? Really quickly? Um well, some of them will tell you they broke through too quickly. Hmm. Um, but David Say broke through pretty quickly. He was at Catch a Rising Star. Oh, wow. He wrote for Bill Maher, right? No, I don't think he did that. But no, um, oh, Am I thinking of somebody else who wrote for Bill Maher? David Say? Uh, yeah, I'm that I don't know. But uh, some of the guys, it, it took us all pretty much a while. Hmm. Nobody was just... Uh, pulled out of uh out of the club so quickly we had to get funny and really and and be able to work like 20 minutes solid where they would come in and see you wow okay um because it was like i was thinking like it, it seemed like sometimes um when carson was interviewing those guys like back in the day they would say how long have you been doing stand-up and it would be like three or four years and then now when you guys talk about how long it takes you to find your voice. People go like five to 10. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think about that group that made it go from four to, and then they're like 10 years before you know who you are as a comic. You know what I mean? So the guys that got pulled out in three years or four years yeah. didn't, didn't last for the most part. Gotcha. They were there too soon. They okay. shot that watch way too quickly. Right. The first set, it just didn't have enough uh, to last after three, you know, coming around three years. Wow. You gotta, you gotta build it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Tonight Show, they would come in and they would see you, you know, and you do your five minutes, but they already knew that you probably had some backbone to you. Yeah. Is there any new guys that you're looking, that you like? You know, it's it's probably, yes, I just haven't been to uh, Rosebud, I like. Oh, nice. Oh, yes, absolutely. Rosebud Baker. Yeah, she's doing terrific. She's phenomenal. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of really... Uh, who did I see the other day? Who I I, I I don't know why I missed him. I saw Earthquake special. Oh, Earthquake is hilarious. I love Earthquake. Hilarious. Unbelievable. So funny. 
just yeah. a great presence too in the room on stage. If you've seen him, if you're if you're seeing him live, man, he just dominates. Unbelievable. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not getting to the clubs as much, you know, during the COVID thing. I was certainly not going. Right. But now I'm I'm going and uh, but I'm gonna be in Vegas at the uh, Tropicana. Harry Basil has the uh, Tropicana. I'll be oh, there that's right. August eighth through something or other, and uh, that's always fun. You know, do forty minutes and uh, fourteen shows or something like that. When are you Ooh. coming out to Jersey? I was here for my son's wedding. That's oh, where I nice. got COVID. That's where I got COVID. I'm never coming back. On behalf of Jersey, I apologize. Yeah, <laughs> I had that makes COVID. sense. I had COVID at the wedding. I didn't know it. I, I felt a little sick. I and then got COVID at a wedding in New Jersey too. I wonder if you guys were in the same hall in like two different rooms. Probably not. <laughs> but the next day I tested and I still didn't have it. But the day after that I had it. Wow. Oh man, that's messed up. I'm glad I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, uh, it was, um, bad for a couple days. I yeah. slept for like half of a day and then that was it. I was so tired. Oh, me too. The fatigue is what they, Tom will tell you. I got freaked out and Tom had it. And also, but I got like, I think we both yeah. put each other in the hot, like we didn't need to be in the hospital, but I was like, yeah. I'm too, my blood pressure is low. I'm, I'm dying. I got to get to the hospital. And I, they were just like, you're just tired. You're yeah. fatigued. <laughs> you're okay. Yeah, you're, you're okay. You're tiny. That's why your blood pressure is old. We actually had a, a a comic has been chiming in. He said, Dave Martell said, ask Mark what he thinks of the overweight comedian David Martell. <laughs> so that's that's just chiming in. Dave Martell mm -hmm. um is an example of a guy that keeps trying and trying and trying. But uh, he ain't got it. He's uh, Dave. I'm sorry to tell you. And he's he's a chubby guy, so he would have gone through a lot faster if he had it. But even even being even being fat, they're not opening the door to him. Holy shit! Oh, I love great. Dave. He's one of my dearest friends in the world, and he 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 really does try, and he's getting better. The truth is, he's getting better. Nice. And, and he's going to have a, he's not going to jump the podcast, but he's going to do an Instagram show starting uh, June 1st. So I oh, wish great. him luck and I love him. Awesome. Nice. He actually uh, also asked us to uh, ask you about where you were on 9 11. Is there a good story behind that? I was with him in Alaska. Oh, wow. um, oh I went, I, I was doing cruise ships at the time and I stopped doing them because uh, I, I just couldn't take it. It was like a metaphor for my life, just floating <laughs> endlessly, no, going nowhere. Just, you know, this thing and, yeah, give me a salad and uh, buffet in four hours, you know. So, um, we're in Alaska, and he calls me in my room and he says, Mark, turn on the TV. And I turn it on, and I see that the uh, the tower had been taken down, and then the other one. And uh, I, I we were we were docked, and uh, we went to um, I, mean, I called my wife, I was able to get through to her, and uh, we actually. Um, went sightseeing that day because there was nothing else we could do. Wow. Nothing we could do. So we looked around uh, where we were and it was absolutely spectacular. Um, and when we got back to the ship, the, 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 the captain makes an announcement. You know, these ships are like from Norway and Sweden and they sound very dramatic, you know, you know, like, like German people, mm -hmm. you know, and he goes, America is at war. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, he announces it to us. America's at war. Oh, my God. But Dave and I, um, we got off the ship in Canada, and somehow we rented a car, and we were able to get across the border. This is like two days after, three days after. They let us through, 
And then we flew out of there and went to LA. And uh, when we land, the only people that were driving cabs were people from the Middle East. And Dave oh, looks at me and goes, they won. <laughs> it was a great joke, actually. It was oh, like, that's oh, hilarious. That's so good. Um, I got to ask you because we, you wore it specifically. You got a denim jacket on. You got legitimate patches all over your denim jacket. This is it's beautiful, man. Yeah, look at this. Look, look at this. That look is that. incredible. So this is over 35 years in the making. I got another one here. I'll show you. I love that. Wow. And that's all the places you've been and stuff like yeah. that on the road, road gigs. Yeah. This is how you remember where, you, where you've been. That you is know, so smart. We don't, we don't remember that stuff. And yeah, no. don't write about it. So, you know. That is great. Well, you know, it's funny. You got places that you've been. All these <laughs> buttons are from are from road gigs because my, uh, um, my buddy and I, when we go out on the road together, she and I will try to find an antique, like a, an old vintage record store. Yeah, and sure. I'll, and all the there's comedy albums hanging up on the wall behind me are from um, places I've been on the road, and so are most of these buttons. So I don't I don't have where they were, but I know where I got <laughs> them when I was on the road. So it's, it's cool. A beautiful man, jacket. I, it's a beautiful jacket, but th this uh, these don't fall off, and they're and people people love these. When I'm I in know. a, this is the most popular piece of clothing I've ever owned in my life. Yeah, really? when I walk into an elevator, if I'm in the front, people have something to read. First of all, <laughs> and they would say, "Oh God, you've been to all those places." Uh, let me tell you a story about this jacket. Okay, yeah, please. Quick story. So every time I would go away, I would get a patch, and then after that, like three patches. I would go. I used to live on uh, on a street called Cloverdale in L.A. And there was a little tailor about three blocks from me. Mm -hmm. And I would go in and I would give him the patches, and he would sew them on this jacket and the other jacket. And it was an old guy, an old mm -hmm. Italian guy. This went on for years. And then one one day, I'm gone on the road for about three weeks, and I go to the store, and there's a young guy in there. Mm -hmm. And I said, "What happened to uh, you know?" He goes, "That's my father. He he passed on about uh, two weeks ago. He died." And I'm running the store for now. Can I help you? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, tell you the truth. I'm sorry that it happened. I, I really liked your dad. And I take out this jacket and I take out patches. And he looks and he goes, you're the patch guy. And he wow. goes, my father used to live through your jacket about all the places that you visited that he never got a chance to go to. Oh he, it was his favorite piece of clothing to work on. Wow. What an honor. Yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, that is. That is really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I know. See, you never know. Yeah. I, I get it's the weirdest thing ever since I started wearing this jacket. And it's only been I've, I've had it, but I just never I never wore it on air. I never never like really <laughs> wore it in the clubs. I was a leather jacket. But everywhere I go with this, people are just like, I love your jacket. I yeah. love what you're wearing. You know, it's just nice conversation piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. What's it not to like? It's beautiful. Thank but you. Same get, get a couple of patches, you know, and I uh, will. I start. Well, I'm going to start getting patches for it. That's great. They got, they got them at the airports. Oh yeah. Uh, generally, they got them. What's the newest patch you got on yours? Oh, I haven't put a new patch on here in a long time. Oh, all right, all right. Um, not. I I still have a bag with a hundred patches in my closet. Wow, that, that's so great. You know, you know, like you go to a place. Like I would go to like a, a national park, and then I go to the uh, gift shop, and they got national park patches. Yep. Yep. And then in town. If you go to uh, you, you walk through anything, you walk by as a gun shop, they got local patches in there, whatever, whatever it is. They got, yeah, these things, yeah, they're everywhere, man. 
Um, well, listen, man, I got, I got kept you for over an hour. I want to ask you the big three questions that we ask every guest yeah. on the show. For, first question is, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? What piece of advice would I uh, give myself? Well, talking to myself mm -hmm. and after what we talked about, it was go easier on yourself. Um, don't grind yourself down and don't belittle yourself so much. You're a better person than you think you were. Nice. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's the thing. I had a very low opinion of myself and I had to work through it. Very nice, man. So, um, second question is, uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad that led you to where you are today? My drinking 37 years off it. Wow. Congrats, wow. man. That's great. Yeah. November yeah. 18th, 1984. I haven't had a drink since my, uh, since that day. Wow. I was a wine and beer guy every day, wine and beer. Wow. I would go on, I would black out. I would go on a road with people for like mm -hmm. two weeks. Then I'd see him at the improv. I go, where do I know you from? Oh my God. <laughs> Could you imagine you and I go on the road two weeks, we go to a club, right. hang out every day. And then I don't remember who you are or where I knew you from. Wow. Yeah, Let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you, I'll, quick, I'll quickly tell you something. Yeah. One time I, this girl walks over to me and goes, Mark, how are you? And I said, uh, I'm good. And she goes, you don't recognize me, do you? I said, I'm sorry, I don't. She goes, I'm Pamela. I lived with you for a year. Oh, my God. Yeah, how's that grab you? So it was at the loft. It was at the loft. Wow. So I, I called my friend John just to make sure this woman wasn't a psycho. Right. <laughs> making this up. Because how do you forget somebody for a year? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I call him up. He goes, yeah, she lived with us for a year. Oh, no memory. God. Can't remember a thing about her. Wow. Never came back either, even after the introduction. Was that the thing that made you finally stop? The, the, yeah. Well, when I moved to California, I was drinking and driving. So oh. in, in New York, you don't drive. Right. Yeah. And I lived in Manhattan. You don't drive. You take the subway by yourself. Sure. When I got to California. The, the stakes were up and I, I had enough head left to go. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to kill yourself. I went off the road a couple of like two, three times. I fell asleep at the wheel. Wow. wow. Never, never got hurt. Never killed anybody. But oh, uh, I knew the jig was up and I have, uh, uh, were you afraid of small spaces? What's that called? Uh, claustrophobia. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to go to jail. I would just hang myself the first night. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a good reason to quit. Maybe, maybe the second night. I want to see what's on the menu first. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can only order off the kids' menu there, I heard. So wow. that was it. Yeah, I know that's fucked up. Uh <laughs> sorry. I'm gonna edit that. Uh I'm just kidding. Um, and the last question is uh tied into the show. So if this is a genuine dystopia, it could be whatever you want. It could be aliens, it could be zombies, it could be climate change, a comet headed toward Earth. Um, but it's everybody's last day on the planet. Uh, how does Mark Schiff want to go out? What would be your epic death? Yeah. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you, um, that thing that happened in the school the other day. Oh, yeah. If it was my last day, I would want to go in there and save as many people as I could. Nice. That's that's how I'd want it to end. And I don't call that a blaze of glory. I, I call it, a, you know, the right thing to do. Absolutely. I like to yeah. die doing the right thing. Absolutely, man. 100%. That's, that's yeah. a great answer. Yeah, dude, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you virtually. I hope to meet you in person one day when you're here or when I'm out in LA. Um, it'll be great. Text me, call. I mean, you know, call or, or right yeah, I've got your come number. out here. And, Absolutely, uh, man. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, yeah. If, you, if you do that and I see, I'll give you like three patches. 
Oh, th- thank you. That would be lovely. You know what's funny? In my head, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I'm like, we're definitely making a dystopia patch and sending it over. I would we're gonna require yeah. it to get to that jacket. Right? Yeah. You should make dystopia patches. Yes. Yeah, that's a great I, idea. That is. I will absolutely do that. For yeah, sure. we've got t-shirts and stuff. I didn't think of making patches. Good call. So you don't um, know Schiff. Uh, yep, you don't know Schiff. Um, where is where can you find that? <coughs> Everywhere, but Everywhere go, to Apple, go to Apple. Great. That's that's where they like me the most. Yeah, same. Write a write a review, a nice review. Will do. Yeah, great stars. podcast. Awesome guests. Thank you. Um, and I uh, can't show. wait. Uh, the book is coming out as well, man. It's gonna be great. I've got the other one, so I can't wait to get this one. Thank you, guys. I really yep. appreciate your time too. Absolutely, Thank you. man. It was such a pleasure. It was an Take honor care. to have you on with us. Same yep, nice nice meeting well. you, man. Peace. Thanks. Bye. Dystopia tonight.